Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Visit us soon at our new State College location. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Daniel Gallen and Dustin Hawkinsmith. Hey, welcome into another edition of the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn State Health. He's Daniel Gallen. I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith. We're taking a final look back at the NFL Combine and really tying in uh, Penn State guys to the NFL and focusing on some of where the mock drafts are coming out of the Combine as well. And I know... Daniel, you and Bob really touched on a lot of the Penn State-related NFL news, and frankly, the Penn State-related news takes a distant backseat to some of the other stuff going on in the NFL. It's blockbuster season. I do understand that you guys talked about Mike Gesicki getting the uh, franchise tag from the Miami Dolphins, Deshaun Hamilton uh, being released by the Broncos, and it looks like Allen Robinson also hitting free agency uh, for the Chicago Bears, which in Allen Robinson's case, I think a lot of people are are, are saying free Allen Robinson to somebody who's actually <laughs> going to use him and care about his significant skills. So I think a good change of pace. And I think it was clear with Deshaun Hamilton that uh, time was running out in Denver. He could use a fresh start someplace. But what you did not talk about was Chris Godwin uh, appearing to get the franchise tag. I think that as of right now, as we're sitting here, they're still trying to hammer out something longer term. It's in their best interest mm-hmm. too, but would not surprise me at all if he gets the franchise tag. And I think the moral of the story, Daniel, is that Chris Godwin will be back in all likelihood in a Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform one way or the other, long-term deal, franchise tag. And he'll be doing it now with a a new quarterback, and that's going to be another storyline to follow. Who's going to be throwing Chris Godwin passes? Yeah, Godwin is is probably the most interesting case out of the franchise tag guys uh, related to Penn State. He's getting the tag for the second year in a row. Um, which is kind of kind of a rarity. I know the Jags franchised Cam Robinson for for the second year in a row as well, but it's one of those things where you the way that the franchise tag is designed, obviously you get that big payday. I think that Godwin's supposed to make nineteen million dollars this year if he plays on the tag, but you lose that long term security. And and for someone like Godwin, he got hurt last year playing on the tag, and who knows when exactly he'll be back at full strength. So. It's one of those things where it kind of it hurts his earning value or earning ability a little bit. But I think if Tampa Bay wants to keep him around, I mean, they they know what he's worth. He's shown what he's worth, especially with Mike Evans on the other side, that they can that he can be a, a cornerstone for their offense. So it'll be interesting to follow that. They have until July 15th to hammer out that uh, that deal. And I think that I forget exactly what Tampa Bay's salary cap situation is, but it's in their best interest from a money perspective that way to get a long-term deal done, lower that salary cap number for this year and free up a little bit more money um, to, to work with. So you really felt bad last year when Godwin suffered that knee injury because you knew 
that he was going to get paid this offseason um, if he got to the open market. And obviously, he's not going to get to the open market for at least another year, um, maybe more if Tampa Bay locks him up. So we'll we'll see what happens with that. But it's just one of those little little things to follow. And we'll we'll see how it how it shakes out. Well, and this group here, the the guys that we've all talked about are some of the, you know, earlier success stories of the James Franklin era pushing guys to the NFL. And I think in certain respects, they set a, a blueprint for what the current guys are trying to do. And, you know, I think that's a good segue into the mock draft and the mock drafts, I should say, multiple, but also the NFL combine and, and what our expectations are. And, you know, looking at Jahan Dotson, and we'll touch on some of the standouts and, and who helped themselves and all that uh, in a minute. But I think Jahan Dotson, like, okay, who does he most kind of follow in their footsteps? And I think he is a quicker, more athletic version of Deshaun Hamilton, who I believe was a third round pick a few years ago. He he um really stood out at the combine as a pleasant surprise. And Jahan Dotson didn't really stand out as a pleasant surprise because expectations were extremely high for him. Um, I thought Jahan Dotson just kind of held the line there. But I think in terms of projecting his NFL future, I think he will be a, a far superior player to Deshaun Hamilton because he's a more special athlete who kind of does some of the same things. You know, looking at Hamilton, I think he'll catch on some plays. He's a guy who's probably going to last a decade uh, in the league for one reason, you know, for one team or another. Uh, but Jahan Dotson, it seems, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like he didn't, play himself into the first round of the draft. And that's okay. Looking at how crowded that wide receiver position usually is, he I, I felt like he needed to do something to set himself apart and to offset, you know, teams that don't really love his size. And I'm not sure he really did that. Uh doesn't mean he's gonna he's not gonna be a great player, but to me it just seems like the second round is where he's destined to go now. Yeah, I don't think Dotson really hurt his case at all. I think that he kind of held steady. I think that him moving down some draft boards, I think has more to do with other guys um, improving their cases. And I don't think that Jahan Dotson got worse um, in the past two weeks at the combine. Like you said, the expectations were super high. You know, Daniel Jeremiah is saying that he's running in the four threes. Um, he runs that four, four, one. Also think in terms of optics, Dotson got a little hurt by the wide receivers in that late session on that Thursday night where that gun was hot and that gun was almost too hot uh, for Chris Olave to go from four, two, six to four, three, nine. I think that that's, that's a pretty, that's an enormous uh, gap there. Like Tyquan Thornton sets the record. Then it gets adjusted seven hundredths of a second back. I mean, when you're talking about running, that's a big amount. So I think that he got hurt by kind of in terms of optics, in terms of, wow, these guys in the late session are all burning. And then, you know, their times get quietly corrected after the fact. And so I think that Dotson kind of being steady almost hurt him um, in a way. But I think that he's fine. And I think that his draft case is, is really interesting. I still think he's in the 20 to 35 range, maybe the 20 to 40 range. Yeah, I mean, I think he comes out of it fine. Um, I have some some longer term longer term thought or bigger picture thoughts about where he could land um, that I feel like I'll be repeating uh, a lot over, over the next month. And, and I can dive into those if you want, but I do think overall Dotson is in like, he's in good shape. Like he's going to get drafted. He's going to, it's either going to be late on day one, earlier day two, and hopefully he can be in a situation he can thrive. 
And I think somebody, it's always interesting, you know, looking at the bottom half of the first round, like, you know, he's the kind of guy, like if, if you are a team, a playoff caliber team that's picking in that 20 to 32 range, certainly he could be viewed as a polished, speedy, quick slot guy who could be that extra piece that maybe can take your offense to another level immediately. And I think that kind of works in his favor a little bit. And then I think we've said this a few times uh, here and elsewhere, like it just takes one team to like him. And maybe that one team likes him enough to move up into the second round. You see a lot of movement at the end of the first round, a lot of movement at the beginning of the second round. Maybe Jahan Dawson is the target of one of those trades where a contender wants to move up again. But I think he's a perfect fit for a team that's a piece or two away uh, on offense because he can do what he did at Penn State on some level immediately uh, because the skill set's going to translate right away. Yeah, that's definitely my my big picture thought with this whole thing is that I think Dotson is is very well positioned as a late uh, late first round pick. You want to get drafted as high as possible because that means more money, more security. But obviously, the way that the draft is set up, when that happens, you're going to worse teams. It's a it's an interesting part of of how the labor set up. Um, but I think that you look at the teams that are picking in the twenties and some of the teams that Dotson has been mocked to. The ones that stand out to me are the Packers, the Bills, and the Chiefs. I think you can throw the Titans in there too. All those teams have clear-cut number one wide receivers. Uh, they all have good quarterbacks, and they all have offenses that that can be really productive. And I think that if you add Dotson into that mix, he comes in, doesn't have to be the guy, and he can benefit from being not the gravitational force. Last year, he was the guy that every opposing defense knew that he was going to get the ball the most. He was the one that they were all focused on, and he still managed to put up big numbers like that. If he's playing with the Chiefs, where Tyreek Hill has all that gravity, or the Packers, where Devontae Adams gets all that focus. I mean, you saw what Alan Lazard and Marquez Valdez-Scantling did at times the past couple of years. I think Dotson's a better prospect than both of them. Um, and so I think that he really does have the opportunity to land in a situation where he can just really hit the ground running. Obviously, with him slipping into the second round, uh, you're kind of back back where you started with some interesting situations. But at the same time, maybe someone trades up um, to get you. Maybe one of those teams uh, late in the first round trades back into the second round to get you. Um, but I think that he is really well positioned to be able to go in somewhere, contribute right away, and really be productive. I think it's also going to help for those same types of teams and for the same reasons that uh, I assume Jahan Dotson interviews super well, and I assume that it's going to become clear to some of these teams, like this guy is going to take pride in special teams. If that if that's what we ask of him in, in year one, in, in the future, he'll be able to transition out of that. But a guy of his profile, I think he's going to have to probably pull double duty um, in, in year one. And for him to kind of get that point across, uh, just the way that he carries himself, like it, he'll care about doing that job and whatever it takes to kind of make the game day roster, he'll, he'll do it. In terms of other guys who help themselves, uh, so like Jaquan Brisker, I don't think he neither hurt nor helped his cause. You know, the four four nine, I think the the figure was in the forty was okay. He got banged up a little bit and didn't didn't run a second time. That's something he's going to have to clear up. But he might be able to br- sort of break the tie um, at pro day if he's able to run faster and do some more some more of the drills and things like that. But I thought a four four nine was was perfectly fine when you look at his film and say 
you know, he's going to get a, a pretty good first step anywhere he goes on the field. And four four nine is probably fast enough for him to get there. Uh, three caster fields running that four three eight uh, was, a, I think, a good surprise for him because you know, look at his profile: six foot, six one, whatever he is, um, one hundred eighty five, one hundred ninety pounds. Uh, for him to prove that he can move, everybody is going to want, even if he's a fifth or sixth cornerback someplace, everybody's going to want a long corner who can run. And Castro Fields, you know, he doesn't have, I would say, immaculate game film. He needed a figure to kind of show that his skills translate to the next level. That 4-3-8 did it, I think. And Brandon Smith, I think, you know, he he's gunning for one or two teams to, to see him in shorts and love what they see. And I think he gave plenty of reason uh, what was it? Was a four-five-two? He ran in, in the forty. Yeah, I don't have the feet. So you know that's an outstanding number. I believe it was second fastest among linebackers. Um, you just look at him and you can kind of dream upon what the future could hold for him. Uh, I think to see that in person and to see that speed in motion, uh, there's going to be a GM out, GM out there who's. I, I don't. He's not a first rounder or anything, but I think he ran himself into a more solid spot and maybe the second round. Yeah, all three of those guys had really interesting combines. I think with Brisker, we we talked about it last week a little bit where kind of the the idea that his intangibles overshadow his his actual physical skills and I think that he reaffirmed that once again in terms of, you know, gutting it out, still running the 40, kind of showing that toughness that has become kind of the you know what he's been known for. So I think it'll be interesting to see what he can do at pro day. Like I would really like to see a completely healthy Jaquan Brisker uh, get to go through the, that battery of tests and see what he can do because he is a, a very gifted athlete. Um, and also he, I listened to his media session at the combine and uh, kind of talking about his development as a football player from the IQ and instincts point was, was really interesting. And you can tell that he interviewed really well um, with the teams. So I think that someone will probably fall in love with him just as a mind, help him a lot. As for Castro Fields, I think that in terms of who, which Penn State player put up kind of the, the biggest number or most significant number, I think he did that four three eight. I was not really expecting that. Like I think that initially it was in the four fours, and I was like, oh, like that's a it's a good number for for Tariq, and then it gets official four three eight, and I was like, whoa, like all right, he was moving. Obviously, like you said, the game film leaves a little bit to be desired in certain points, but. I think the fact that he showed that he can run and he has the length um, makes him a big time candidate to be, you know, one of those fourth or fifth round picks. You take a swing on a position like cornerback. It's one of those ones where you can never have too many. And those are the guys that end up being the special teamers. They're kind of the, unfortunately, they get caught up in the bottom of the roster churn a lot, but they're the guys that you bring in to be gunners, uh, to do kick coverage, to fill in here and there. And, I think that if Tariq has that straight line speed, obviously that helps uh, in terms of kick and punt coverage. So I think that he, he'll definitely have the opportunity to to make himself be a special teamer. And finally, Brandon Smith. I think he might have had one of the more interesting combines because he didn't put up that one number. Like he didn't blow the 40 out of the water. Like if he was in the four fours, it would be like, whoa. But I think when you look at the kind of the complete picture, that he painted across the board, it was really, really solid. And you saw some of those athleticism metrics uh, and formulas, which all that is a little bit above my pay grade. Uh, but there was one going around that had Smith testing as the the third most athletic linebacker in the database since 1987. 
which is very wild. I think that when you, you look at the complete picture, he tested really, really well, even if he didn't have kind of the, the big numbers that OA and Parsons had last year at pro day. And maybe Smith tests better at pro day, given the familiar environment and kind of being able to prepare a little bit differently than you do in Indianapolis. So I think that Brandon Smith, it's kind of a thing where a team will look at him and be like, all right, we're going to make this happen. We can make this happen with this guy. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our locations, including our new state college dispensary located at 1248 South Atherton Street. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. A couple other guys, and I thought it was funny that Rashid Walker had to answer for that block against Maryland where he <laughs> fell on top of the guy and, for lack of a better term, just sort of dry humped him when, when he was on the ground and... You know, he just, for him to just say, I, fi- I, I finished my blocks. Well, well said. How, how else are you supposed to answer that? I, I liked Rashid's note that he made sure to point out that, uh, that it was a, a kid from a rival high school. I, I went back through and to double check that to, to confirm. And it was true. Uh, Rashid Walker went to North Point High School. Deshaun Holt went to Westlake. And, uh, those two teams uh, would go at it down in, down in the smack, uh, Southern Maryland Athletic Conference. Yeah, so that explains a lot. And that right there is the type of reporting you can't get anywhere else. <laughs> Daniel, Daniel Gallon sitting at his, at his computer Googling, who did Rashid Walker hump? Uh, and, and that's what, that's what he got. So confirmation, longtime rival got treated as such in a game. Uh, Rashid, you know, we all know the story by now. Uh, this time last year, you know, a lot of people making the case that he's a first round pick. He didn't play himself into the first round. He played himself maybe more to, uh, the middle round territory, uh, maybe the third or so. Um, but I think, you know, athletically, uh, he, he has the upside to believe that he can be on a roster, maybe in a starting lineup, sort of maybe one of those fringe starting tackles for a while. Uh, if he can kind of catch on and keep getting better and take football seriously, like, it, you know, I think he's good enough to last a long time. Just like cornerbacks, teams can't get enough offensive tackles and Rashid Walker looks like a true offensive tackle at the next level. And then Arnold Abicady, I think, is just is somebody that helped himself a little bit. You know, I think the concerns about him and or the 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 rap sheet on him is that, you know, there are certain things uh that he maybe he can't really control so much. But for him to broad jump well and do the vertical well kind of shows that he's not ju- he wasn't just a producer at the college level, that he's athletic enough to get the job done uh in the NFL too. Yeah. Evic Hedy had a really interesting combine to me in terms of how he measured in um, because he's only 6'2", which I think when you talk about those those edge rushers, is um, it, it's on the shorter side. But I went through and was looking at his arm length. I forget what exactly the figure was, but I went into the, the mock draftable database. I've been visiting there uh, a couple times a day, hoping that, that the spider graphs are up because uh, that's one of my, my favorite things to look at in the pre-draft process. But Ebiketti's arms were above average, I think by at least an inch. So he has length, even though he's not tall, which is a really interesting combination. And, you know, he's he's kind of a, a thicker guy, I think. So I think that he has the ability to play either 4-3, 3-4 on the edge. Obviously, there's some questions about him being able to 
to stop the run and play against the run. But I think that he definitely solidified himself as a as a second round second rounder. He'll have the opportunity if someone falls in love with him, you go a little bit higher. Um, it is a deep class, which kind of pushes him down a little bit more, which, which could make him a, a pretty good value pick. I think Mel Kuyper still has him as a first rounder, but not a lot of other people do. But he's firmly in that day two conversation because he was productive, he tested well, and he plays a premium position, which is kind of everything you can ask for um, when you're when you're evaluating someone at that position. So, you know, he's up against it because a lot of times late in the first round, teams are going a little bit more toolsy at the defensive end position. They're looking for the guys who who have the capability to be stars. And I'm not sure that Epicadia really gets that view. You know, a couple guys, like I, I think about the Eagles, you know, he's a Philadelphia guy. He played at Temple before he came to Penn State. And, you know, the Eagles have... Derek Barnett, they picked him in the first round. Not a long, I mean, obviously he was more productive than Epicady when he was at Tennessee, uh, but he's 6'3". Uh, and I think Brandon Graham isn't isn't uh, humongous in terms of length either, but they're guys who can still get to the quarterback. Like Brandon Graham's listed at 6'2", 265. Now, Epicady isn't either one of those guys coming out of college. He doesn't have the production or, or you know, like I, I think he's, he still has more to prove, but those guys to me are just two of a bunch of examples of guys that, you know, their, their length doesn't their height doesn't matter so much. Um, he can get after the quarterback. He's athletic enough to keep doing it. He's not a first rounder, probably, unless Mel Kuyper Jr. gets a GM job someplace. He's probably a second rounder. But again, just like these guys, he's the type of player who will, who will get six to eight sacks for you, I think, you know, in a handful of seasons. And there's going to be value in, in that. Uh, probably in that early second round range. Yeah, I think that looking at kind of the Eagles and their defensive ends uh, to kind of look at Ebiketti at the next level is is interesting. I think that there is one on a mock draft roundup on penlive.com that you can read from from Wednesday. There is a mock draft that had Ebiketti going in the, I believe, the second round to the Eagles, number 61, which is kind of, I think, a good value. And that's, I think, a little bit more in line um, some of the other mock drafts that I rounded up have Ebiketti in the 40s, um, which I could also see. I mean, he's firmly in that second round conversation. But yeah, I think the Eagles have kind of shown that the height doesn't really matter as much. I do think with the Derek Barnett pick that they, I think they leaned a little bit more on his college production than maybe his actual tools. He was a guy that you watched in college and he was just kind of, he was just at the quarterback no matter what. And it wasn't really, it was just, he was just kind of able to get there. I don't know. There wasn't a distinct thing where it's like, oh, he's overpowering guys. Oh, he has this really great array of moves. Oh, he's got this, like these tools that you can really kind of see going. It was just like, oh yeah, he just gets a lot of sacks. I mean, he broke Reggie White's record um, at Tennessee, which is a, a pretty, pretty impressive uh, thing on your resume to have, but just never really translated um, into the NFL. Whereas, Brandon Graham is a little bit more of an explosive athlete, kind of built <laughs> built like a bowling ball almost uh, with his ability to um, play against the run. And that's really, I think, where BG kind of made his uh, made his money uh, initially before kind of really developing into a pass rusher. So I think that would be uh, an interesting landing spot for him. Obviously, Barnett is going to hit free agency, and I don't think he'll be back in Philadelphia, especially because they signed Josh Sweat who is kind of the opposite of all those other guys. I mean, Josh Sweat was number one recruit in the class of 2015. 
uh, had a horrific knee injury um, that he's been able to come back from. But he is all tools, like enormous wingspan, tall, like fast. Just you look at he's a guy you look at his spider chart and you're like number one overall pick. Like, let's go. Um, and he's been able to put it together and, and develop at the next level and, and get a nice payday. So I think that that's kind of an interesting kind of lens to look at it through. I also kind of look at Rashid Walker through the Eagles lens a little bit where you talk about ending up in a good situation for Walker. I mean, that's what Daniel Jeremiah said, that it's going to depend on where he goes. If he can find an offensive line coach that that can really develop him and really wants to develop him, Jeff Stoutland at the Eagles. I mean, they just bring in like a crop of undrafted free agents every single year and just develop them. And suddenly they, they've got contributors like Nate Herbig, I mean, Jordan Mailata had never played a football game and he's a well-paid left tackle. There's just kind of um, these guys that don't have these big time pedigrees that you can just kind of mold. And I think if Rashid Walker, obviously he has more of a pedigree, but if he can land somewhere with an offensive line coach who can really mold him and find the right spot for him, I think that that, that could bode very, very well for him. So I think the moral of the story is just send everybody to Philadelphia. Send every Penn State guy to Philadelphia. They could use they could use a a polished wide receiver and not Jalen Rieger. Uh, they could use the next uh, Derek Barnett. Um, they could use uh, a, pro, a a project at, at offensive tackle from Rasheed Walker. You, you did the, the the mock draft roundup on on Wednesday. A couple of highlights from that. Um, you know, Jahan Dotson. Uh, Bleacher Report had him as high as number 18 to the Saints, and I'll believe that when I see it. But I think it kind of speaks to fit and an offense that could that could use one more piece. And so there might be incentive for a team like New Orleans to to take a guy like Dotson before you might expect. Uh, Ebicady in the 40s, one to the Seahawks, one to the Falcons. Uh, I would expect that that 40-ish range to be uh, where he goes. Uh, Brisker, uh, somewhere in the mid to late second round seems like a fair expectation at this point. I'm not sure even a standout pro day is going to change much about that, but I think, you know, team's going to get a, a really good field general. Um, if, if his health checks out and all, and all that, I mean, teams are going to love how much he loves football and how willing he is to play whatever role is necessary at the safety spot, come down and run support, drop back into coverage, uh, Rashid Walker, it's just, it's crazy. A three year starter who was once talked about in the first round is now viewed as a project at the next level. He, um, Bleacher Report has him going in the, the third round. And Brandon Smith, uh, Bleacher Report has him going number 99 to the Ravens. That would be an unbelievable fit for him. Uh, a, a team that has, you know, such a long established history of getting the most out of linebackers and Odafe Owe, the way that he has played for them. Maybe, maybe they'll go for another uh, high-level athlete uh, who uh, has something to prove in Brandon Smith. We'll see. Yeah, I thought that it was a very interesting sampling uh, in that mock draft roundup um, that I had with kind of the range of guys. Like the Dotson to the Saints pick was kind of, it was interesting to me to think about and do that mind exercise because two years ago when Drew Brees and Sean Payton are still there, you're like, oh, home run. Like he'll get in there, he'll put up numbers. But now you don't know who their quarterback's going to be next year. You have a new head coach in Dennis Allen. I think they did keep continuity on the offensive staff, but you don't know what Michael Thomas is doing. And I was kind of like, you know, I was like, oh, like you should maybe go a, a couple picks later <laughs> instead of instead of number eighteen. But I think that's a good a good sampling. Um, I mean, 
like last year, Penn State's draft class had a lot of really, really top line talent. I mean, Michael Parsons, obviously nothing else really needs to be said. Uh, Owe was just another high level athlete. And then you had Pat Fryermuth uh, going in the second round. And so Penn State had six guys drafted last year, but there's a huge range where you had, you waited. I mean, I was watching the draft and I, I was waiting between Fryermuth in the second round to those three guys in the seventh round. Uh, so even though at the end you get to say you had six guys drafted, the, the range there, I think kind of shows the, a bit of the disparity, but I think this year's group is going to be a lot more clustered together. I think that on day two, I mean, you could have five, depending on where Dotson goes, you could have five guys go, maybe six if someone falls in love with Tariq Castro Fields. Like it's a very, very deep class, even if it doesn't necessarily have a, a Micah Parsons or a Saquon Barkley um, level headliner. So it's going to be, it's going to be a very fun draft and, I think that two of the other guys we haven't even talked about, um, Jesse Lucetta, uh, Jordan Stout, and then a third, uh, Ellis Brooks, who didn't even go to the combine. I think you're definitely seeing the, the opportunity for Penn State to have nine guys drafted, uh, when, when all is said and done next month. Um, you know, we've got about six weeks or so, uh, to the NFL draft. So expect more mock draft roundups, uh, from Daniel. Things <laughs> ebb and flow. And I think sometimes there's, the appearance of guys rising and falling, but guys actually do rise and fall as more teams process more film and they put their draft boards together. You do see some legitimate movement. So stay tuned for that. Penlive.com slash Penn State football. Daniel will be tweeting as it always does from at Daniel JT Gallon. And we'll be talking more NFL recruiting, whatever comes up along the way in the off season ahead uh, on the blue white breakdown. As always, you can find everything we do, as I mentioned, at penlive.com slash Penn State Football. And the Blue White Breakdown is available on Alexa, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in to this edition, and we'll see you next time on the Blue White Breakdown. This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penlive. Live.